Hello, welcome to the AI Buzz with Luca and Josh. I'm Josh Starmer, host of the YouTube channel StackQuest with Josh Starmer, and also a lead AI educator at Lightning AI. And I'm Luca Antiga, CTO at Lightning AI. Today we're going to talk about constitutional AI, getting a model to train itself not to say bad words, and we're also going to learn about emergent abilities of AI, foundation models, how to lock down an AI so it's not so susceptible to attacks, expanding the abilities of foundation models with external memory, and last but not least, foundation models versus Surrey. So Luca, the last time we were talking, uh, we ended, we were talking about uh, reinforcement learning with uh, human interaction um, and sort of like humans being a part of that process. And we, and we were just about to start talking about what it means to do that kind of thing without a human. Uh, can we talk about that today? Because I'm totally curious about this. Yeah, yeah. So um, this approach has been proposed among others uh, by Anthropic, uh, which is a company uh, doing this kind of things, and it's called Constitutional AI. It, the basic idea is instead of doing reinforcement learning with human feedback, is doing reinforcement learning with AI feedback, and it's maybe counterintuitive, but if you think about it a sec for a second, it's actually, it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm not implying that this approach is superior to human feedback or that you can replace this approach. Uh, you, you, you can replace uh, humans with this approach entirely. But it's a, it's a nice thing to keep in, in our heads as we see the, the, the field uh, advancing. So basically, we said that you know, if you have a very large model, a very capable model with emerging capabilities, and we, called, uh, we probably talked about what emerging means in a second, but essentially what it can do is judge if, for example, your, the uh, a sentence that you provided contains any like uh, uh, problematic statements or racist uh, uh, statements and so on. And it's not very hard to do for uh, something that is very hard to do for a language model uh, that is uh, at a sufficient scale. So the idea here is to have first text generated by the AI model and then feed that with prompt at the beginning and prompt at the end that say, okay, now um, you are a model that needs to evaluate this, this sentence. Here's the sentence. And uh, we are particularly interested in, something, in flagging something that might look like this and that. And then, um, uh, or how would you rewrite something so that it, it doesn't contain this? And so... Uh, essentially, uh, you can do all these things. So what const constitutional AI does is, by appropriate prompting, takes the output of the model back and l learns how to rank. Do you remember that mm -hmm. we we're, were talking about humans ranking? Mm -hmm. um, according to some constitutional principles, uh, which are contained in the prompt that we, uh, uh, that, that we use to to prompt the model to judge uh, its own output. And then that can then lead to kind of the same loop that we mm -hmm. described the other time, mm -hmm. where we can train a model to rank um, according to, uh, at this point, not according to human feedback, whatever it is, but according to some principles that are encoded in the prompt that we use to prompt the model to judge its own output. 
So, so yeah. <laughs> you have to forgive me. This is, I mean, I'm my brain is like, I mean, I, I feel like I almost have it in my head. So we have we have a prompt. Uh, can you give me an example of, of one of these prompts? Yeah, for sure. So let's start from the raw model and um, kind of asking the raw model, uh, well, what do you think about uh, pineapple pizza? And the model may spit out pineapple pizza sucks in a very, you know, abrasive way. <laughs> because people are being abrasive against pineapple pizza in general on the internet. I'm not necessarily one of them. I <laughs> like pizza in you know, shapes and forms. But yes. um, people either love or hate that one, I think. Exactly. So maybe, you know, the model will spit out some sentences, you know, uh, you know prompting it multiple times. Um, may say, oh, it's great, or it just sucks. And we yeah. want to avoid that because yeah. it's too abrasive for our uh, uh, our use. Maybe we are yeah. a, a shop that wants to implement a chatbot to help customers choose their own favorite pizza, right? Yeah. So, um, and we need to align the model in such a way that it doesn't produce this kind of outputs. Uh, one way is to resort to... Uh, uh, human feedback where we we create a model that ranks all the outputs and the outputs that are abrasive will be at the bottom of the ranking. So the, the model will not go there preferentially when it goes into its uh, reinforcement learning training episodes. The the other way though, since whatever the model spat, spat is an actual sentence that the mm -hmm. model itself will understand, is if we prompt the model like, are there any abrasive comments in the sentence, pineapple pizza sucks, then the model oh. will be able to identify that this has this kind of content. So we can use the model itself properly prompted with a constitution principle, which is abrasive comments. And we can have many of them, right? We can say, oh, okay, is there any sexism in there or whatever, right? And so we can use a combination of those principles in different iterations, together, whatever, to actually you know, drive the uh, reinforcement learning process. Uh, and this is a bit what constitutional AI thought about, and it's actually, um, they, they, it's been proven that it works. I don't know, like wow. better, worse, whatever. Yeah. You know, uh, we go into... Uh, debates here probably you know the, the good thing is a mix it's a healthy mix of things um, but I think this is a, an, a very nice example of uh, using models creatively for their emergent properties I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you you just blew my mind in like the best possible way so I'm gonna give you a BAM because that was <laughs> like I mean as soon as you said you can take that phrase that output and all you got to do is add to it is there anything offensive in this phrase, pineapple pizza sucks? And that you could just tack that onto anything, put that, feed that right back into the model. Holy smokes. Yeah, yeah. That's it's, so It's a very cool. smart one. Yeah, it's very smart. It's, and it's so simple. I love the elegance of it. It's, oh, uh, I, yeah, because before that example, I had, I had absolutely no idea. I thought it was going to be crazy complicated or you were going to have to like come up with a really, you know, some way to encode this like complicated an encyclopedia of bad words onto <laughs> the onto the phrase or something and it ends up just being this really simple natural thing it's not awkward at all uh being able to do that so that is that's fantastic yeah wow. yeah 
it's uh, of course you know the model has to uh, exhibit a, a certain uh, complexity itself mm -hmm. right it needs to be very capable and maybe yeah. you you will not catch everything because models yeah. are not infallible of course you know we're yeah. here to talk about that so yeah that's why i think the healthy mix is very important but for sure uh, this is how we will we may be able to really scale things up um and then, um, yeah, I talked about emergence. I, there, there was mm -hmm. I bumped into a presentation okay. um, that Google published. Let me see if I can find the title. It's called Oh yeah, it's um, it's a JSON wave from Google Brain. Um, it's a Stanford CS25 uh, slide deck. It's called Scaling Unlocks Emergent Abilities in Language Models. And it's actually quite cool to see the definition of emergent abilities, right? Okay. And um, because emergent abilities is tightly, the definition that is given there is tightly coupled with scale itself. Uh -huh. So... Um, because an emergent ability is an ability of a model that a model acquires uh, that is different from the task it's being trained on when you scale it up. So it doesn't yeah. exhibit at low scales because it will focus on solving its own little uh, problem you give it in the form of mm -hmm. a loss function, like you know, what is the cross-entropy of the next uh, token predicted. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, uh, the... The, the the emergent ability could be what we just talked about, you know, tell me if this is toxic or not, like being able yeah, to yeah. follow an instruction. And yeah. from the first episode, we learned that um, we nowadays in foundation models, we tend to train models for the simple tasks and then let abilities emerge. And so this presentation is quite nice because, yeah, it gives a good definition of emergent ability. And um, it in, and then it goes through and how kind of uh, it how scale affects um, yeah. uh, the um, the the uh, these emergent abilities to to show up. Can I ask um, a few dumb questions? Um, you've oh, you've yeah. used this term a few times now. Uh, yep. Can you define foundation model? Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is a, a term that not everybody loves because as okay. all buzzwords, you know, yeah. uh, they, they are blurred and, uh -huh. uh, and a foundation model is not different from a model that is not like from a technical standpoint, you know, uh, it's, uh, uh, why a summarization model that is, that I train on my small data set is not a foundation model. And the foundation model is exactly it's kind of <laughs> revolves in itself. It's a model that exhibits emergent abilities in the end. Okay. <laughs> because, yeah, yeah, because you can use it like it's a, it yeah. has a skill and yeah. it's trained on so much data that yeah. it, it, it starts having these abilities where you can now, once you train a model on that, on that simple task, you can now then repurpose it and use it even with zero shots. So not changing its weights, but just prompting it, for example, properly, right? Yeah. Uh, for a, a vari variety of different things. Yeah. And um, so that, and we have examples of foundation models that are not like, uh, for example, uh, not necessarily uh, language models, like stable diffusion is one of them. It's considered a foundation model because okay. it can do things like, oh, change the style of this picture or, you know, generate... Um, 
generate a, a very high detail photo, uh, you know, depicting blah, 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 uh, with some composition in it, although it was only trained to the noise, uh, to go from noise to an image, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, conditioned by some text. So, yeah. yeah, that that is kind of the blurred definition that this is why not a lot of people like it. But the, the, pro the, the problem, so the point with foundation models is that uh, training a foundation model has very mm -hmm. specific challenges. They okay. come from scale, they come from how much data, and they, they also come from the fact that when you have data, uh, when you want to, to train a foundation model, you don't have a task in front of you. So mm -hmm. even the way you, uh, uh, you establish if a foundation model is good or not has its own specificities, right? Because you need to evaluate it on other tasks, different mm -hmm. from what you trained it on and so on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So even like uh, I, I started seeing the, the term FM ops, the foundation model ops, as okay. the next, wow. the, you know, the next step beyond ML ops, which was all is of course MLOps is all centered around uh, I need to manage my data set I need, I need to you know uh, train a bunch of models then select the best one um, yeah, the, the best performing one on the test set and then I need to version things and so on I need to deploy it in production monitor it and do governance and these are all things that are extremely important to, to do right right but if, if you start having foundation models that are have been, you know, you inherit them. They, you, they have been trained separately. Um, and then you, you start prompting them zero shot. Then, for example, this is a thing that you need to do, know how to do. And it's kind of a competence that goes beyond what the classical MLOps uh, mm -hmm. world has. And probably it could kind of completes uh, the use of AI for building, building system, building products. Uh, because if you can use something that has been trained at a crazy scale to do something else that only you, or not only you, but you know, you want specifically from that thing because it, you uh -huh. kind of teach it somehow to do it, and we can go through an example. Um, but you teach it through prompting. You don't teach it through like um, uh, doing the uh, the whole ML workflow yourself. Uh -huh. uh, that opens up possibilities for developers in general to just you know use that, um, and then of course you know you can you can then fine tune a model so that your product is top notch at doing that, and then you go into fine tuning and so on. So it's not just zero shot, but there are many businesses created today that use uh, a foundation model in, in a zero shot okay. setting. Then of course you know people are. Then under, uh, finding out that they can extract API keys by prompting and all these kind of disasters, but it's it's okay. It's in the veins of you know creating new things with new tools, so yeah. it's, it's totally okay that we're kind of as a field, as a field we're stumbling on is, things. Is that an emergent behavior that you can then query it for? You know, how yeah. can I how can I directly connect to you via an, via an API that doesn't charge any money or <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean no. they don't have control beyond giving responses but you know yeah. the more complex things you do like for example if you ask a foundation model to 
you know, given a prompt, generate, generate API calls, which is totally mm -hmm. fine, right? There are people yeah. who are uh, doing Google queries based on that. Or you could say, okay, generate me, you know, the Python requests code to target a certain API. And so if you build a product that allows non-technical people to do that, then the foundation model itself, that model itself uh, has a connection with the external world. It's not isolated anymore. So it's not mm -hmm. human modeled human, but it's human model API somewhere else. And this is where, you know, back in the days, uh, and today as well, but you know, in the, when, in the emergence of databases, we had prompt inj SQL injection problems where, you know, you, you could say, uh, you know, uh, uh, there was a text field <laughs> in, a, in, a, uh, in a system that managed, I don't know, some uh, inventory. And you, you could, in some early systems, if you wrote uh, drop table, blah, 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 there, then you would uh, actually delete the table on the, on the database if it wasn't like done properly, right? So this is yeah, protecting yeah. from prompt injection problem. Uh, yeah, you can yeah. do it in old PHP websites uh, or you know, even before that. Uh, you, you could find certain example of that. And, I, and in a way where in the early days of using AI in this way, you know, in applications and so on, uh, an AI that is evolved enough so that it can interact with the external world. And mm -hmm. so a form of prompt injection is something that is being used today to kind of try to break these systems. And, yeah. and it will be a while before the field you know, gets the ability to, uh, to not fall for this, <laughs> to protect against and, this. And what you mean by prompt injection is, is someone comes up with a, a sort of a malicious prompt that gets yeah. the gets the model to do something that nobody had expected before and maybe exactly. is, is, isn't, you know, cause especially when now once it's connected to Google or it's connected to other services outside of just of itself, they could, yeah. people can abuse it that way. I see. Oh yeah, for sure. And the surface area for attack is now much more complex, right? As yeah. the more these, uh, these models are connected to the outside world, yeah. the more it, it needs to, you know, you need to really protect yourself because some things that the model will do it will be surprising to you. While protecting against SQL injection is simpler because you know that all you need to do is to avoid to interpret the string that comes yeah. from the user as a SQL query directly, right? So the, I, the field gets solved say, is it, there, right? So. Is there a way to, like, insert that constitutional AI thing, right, you know, <laughs> yeah. in between the... Um, or, or, or is there a way to inject into the constitutional thing? So, you know, we take that, is this a malicious, uh, you know, query or, or prompt? You know, are they trying to get me to do something I don't want to do? Um, you know, it's it just, we have these layers of, 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 yeah, of, yeah. Of, of stuff before we get to the actual model that's supposed to do what we want it to do. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, this will be the way probably it will be solved. Because yeah. in order to solve this, you need to interpret whatever the intention of the user is and see mm -hmm. if it's malicious or not. But then that has the problem of how do you protect against prompting what it's protecting you? So it's a very interesting exactly. thing, right? <laughs> so we're going to have all these really like 10 layers of, of, of ways yeah. to wrap things, wrap the prompt up into something that's in theory safe and we can talk about it without, without it biting our finger off or something like that. Yeah, yeah. In a cage. Probably... Yeah, probably something that would 
work initially is having dumber models uh-huh. uh, in between, oh, between yeah. you and the, and the very intelligent ones, yeah. uh, kind of gatekeeping things, yeah. I, I would say. Yeah. Because the more intelligent the model is, the more ways are, I think, to <laughs> yeah. the, the more sophisticated your protection needs to be. I don't know, maybe, maybe it's yeah. wrong. Uh, let's see. No, I like that idea, though. Keep it simple. You know, have have something that's really stupid and and really does just sort of like looks at the string to see if there you know if there's anything there's if they're using ASCII in some unusual way or something like that or yeah yeah I mean yeah yeah it's a whole thing it's a new job yeah. let's say yeah <laughs> uh. <laughs> I, I have an, I have another um, kind of stupid question is the, is there a metric uh, is do we know like you know, once we have a certain number of parameters or the data set is a certain size, is there something like at that point, there's a good chance we will end up with a foundation model that has emergent properties? Or is it, you know, at what point uh, do we hit that threshold? Do people know? Yeah, you 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 catch me unprepared here. I don't know. Oh, sorry. Like, uh, I would say, no, no, no. Uh, <laughs> I, I would say that yes and no like some of the metrics they're very empirical today mm -hmm. and we see some emerging properties in uh, specifically in the in the um, in the presentation that i i mentioned before there's mm -hmm. some consideration on that um but i think we're not having like there, there's no like set metric for 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 that that i know mm -hmm. of um but i i might be like um, I might be wrong, and maybe there is. I think this is very much in flux. Uh, okay. There are metrics that talk about you know how much data you need to to fill a model of a certain capacity, and so mm -hmm. you know is my architecture too small for my data or too large for my data? It's called uh, one of them is uh, it's called Chinchilla from DeepMind, um, but. In terms of emerging and when they emerge and how they emerge, uh, I'm not sure. I need to check. Okay. Okay. Well, that's okay. Thanks for at least entertaining my question. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a very fast-evolving field, so yeah. you're never really prepared. <laughs> <laughs> the other, I think, interesting question is where we see this thing evolving, right? So what are the mm -hmm. limitations? Because we talk about these things in a way that it make look like they can do anything and they can do many mm -hmm. things. But of course, you know, we're still in the early days as crazy as it, as it seems, right? So what are the current limitations of uh, language models, for example, today? And the biggest limitations are related to uh, where the knowledge is stored. And, okay. um, and, and that is one. And the, and the other one is... Uh, what is the context window? And we, we need to like, uh, qualify this. Context window is the amount of text that they can keep in their in working memory, more or less, um, okay. to generate an answer. For example, if I want a model to read my text and summarize it, then I can either do it in chunks, of course, but if I need mm -hmm. it to, to be considered altogether, then there's a, um, a few thousand tokens uh, and each token, like each word is, can be made up by two, three, four tokens. So they're not letters, they're like groupings of, of them. Uh, but essentially, 
there's a limited number of, of tokens that uh, the current architecture can deal with. And so, for example, if I want a model to refactor my code, and my code is really important because, you know, it's important to see the whole thing because I have cross-references and so on, then I will need a bigger, a big context window. So past this context window, the model has no notion of, you know, external memory, let me put my information there, I may retrieve it later. Yes, there are models that do that, that have been proposed, but the current foundation models that are there today uh, behind an API or that you can download and run uh, typically do not have that. Um, there was a paper this uh, last week, I think, um, that showed that you can scale up the context window to tens of thousands of tokens uh, okay. using particular architectural tricks. Um, but the effect of this is still unclear. Like architecturally, yes, it works uh, potentially. Whether that solves the context window problem or in, 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 in the sense of attending to the whole window at the same time, blah, blah, then it still to be, uh, needs to be uh, uh, decided. So this is a current limitation and it will probably be a subject of active research. And then the other thing that was mentioned is about where the knowledge is stored, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, right now, it's kind of crazy to think that uh, in a few gigabytes or tens of gigabytes, blah, blah, blah um, the, the model can have so much knowledge in itself, right? So it's pretty crazy the amount of compression that is there. Even stable diffusion, when you generate all these complex images and the way they compose the, or the style, everything can be, comp can be wrapped up in a few gigabytes of floating point numbers. This is absolutely wow. crazy, right? Yeah, that is crazy. And that thing knows, kind of knows, you know, the how the physical world works in terms of gradients and so on. It's not that it has a representation of a cylinder, but it it knows that it needs to kind of get there in order for things yeah. to look 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 good. And it does it in a in a way that if I put a, a hand on top of it and there's a shadow, it will reproduce the shadow. So that there's some sort of yeah wow. uh, intuition of how things work, right? So and yeah. all these things are just. Uh, in the order of gigabytes of hundreds of gigabytes of floating point numbers, which is not mm -hmm. a lot. It's crazy. Yeah. So, um, but of course, you know, if new information comes up, I've, I've been hearing, oh, you know, ChatGPT is so much better than Google. Yes, for certain type of questions, yes. Um, but ChatGPT is not being updated that frequently, right? So... Um, <laughs> you need to redo the whole thing. And uh, yeah. so as long as information, factual information is within the weights, then probably these models are not amenable to be good search engines, for example, right? Mm -hmm. So there is a need to for models to be able to reach out into external memory mm -hmm. to retrieve things. And so what is the core that remains within the model is the ability to algorithmically decide that they need to get to some information and get it out. And so it's about learning the rules of how this works, then actually knowing, and probably knowledge will be stored there plus somewhere else because, you know, um, knowing rules and know how, what to do when, it comes down also to capacity and memory. Um, mm -hmm. But factual facts can, can be somewhere else. Um, there was a paper... And a family of models uh, it's called retro uh, which uh, and the r stays for stands for retrieval that okay 
are models that can learn how to retrieve information uh, outside. And this, is, uh, this will certainly be a direction that we'll see. Um, so, uh, so Luco, uh, how, so what you're describing to me on some level, on a real basic level, sounds a little bit like my Apple Watch where I can, mm -hmm. I can tap it and I can say, hey, Suri, uh, what's the weather like outside? And it'll tell me the weather outside. Or I can say, hey, Suri, you know, how old is Bob Dylan? And it'll you know, read the Wikipedia article about Bob Dylan to me. Um, how, how is what you're describing? It sounds similar to that, but I, yeah. I, I got a feeling it's different. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's similar in a, in a sense that uh, w what you do with Siri has to do with a chain of smaller, small models, one after the other. One is, you know, understanding your speech. And then one is understanding what things your question contains. I is it a question? What it does it talk about? And probably that will go into a, like a JSON file. Like it's a, it's uh -huh. a, a data structure that contains... Is it a question? Yes, no. Um, you know, what are the topics, uh, the keywords, and so on. So it goes from your unstructured speech to a structure picture of that. And then once all the entities have been uh, recognized and so on, that will that that that's my intuition, but it could be absolutely off. But <laughs> and that thing will mm -hmm. be fed into a system that knows how to deal with that structured information and say, oh, okay, it's a question. Oh, it talks about that. And then it goes on Wikipedia, for example, based on on those like tags, and and so the action, the mapping from the sentence to the structure information to the action, and to like then feeding back the result of that action to you, it's a step, it's a series of steps that have been kind of devised by whoever created that system, right? So there was a okay. human that said, okay, if this is that, then do this, and then. Uh -huh. you know, read back the Wikipedia article. So it's a mixture of models that are narrowly scoped, recognize my voice, you know, transcribe the text, extract structure information from text. And then from there, then uh, the information goes back to you. What we're talking about here is slightly different because it's nobody codes what to do. Okay. So the fact that the system, based on your prompt, decides to query Google to do this, to get yeah. to the answer. So the exact sequence of actions that it will decide to do, to go back, to go out to some piece of information, get it back, interpret it, and based on the interpretation of what the result is, decide what to do so that the answer is the answer to the to the question original. That's all managed by the model. That the foundation model decides what to do. So it's profoundly different, right? So this reminds me a little bit of what we did, what we were talking about last week when we were talking about uh, uh, Matt Wolfram's Alpha, how that was like bespoke and that was like a lot of people put a lot of time into it. and. And it was cool, but it was sort of a one-off thing, and it didn't scale very well. And here we have this this new model that can, you know, instead of someone spending forever kind of hand-coding and stitching together a bunch of little models to make Surrey work, we've just got this one model that does it all on its own. So it scales, like, immediately. Yeah, the interesting part is that since, like, a few days ago, 
um, Wolfram Alpha has been integrated in ChatGPT. So there's okay. an integ a direct integration <laughs> <laughs> in there. Oh, I see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So to yeah. to make sure probably that whatever the 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 model spits out is factually more correct, whether this is a mm -hmm. good idea or not, like it's all very experimental probably. But yeah. I think it's it's a way to deal with factualness in some some sense and say, okay, how can we hybridize hybridize whatever we we have and produce something that is more reliable? And another piece of news is that I I, I read that it's being integrated in Microsoft Teams, um, mm. uh, and so uh, I saw a screenshot of a of a meeting being summarized by whatever model. Uh, will be integrated. Uh, so, and meeting being summarized person by person. So, this person said blah, 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 and this other person said, but not verbatim, actually, the content. So, you will yeah. see like two hours meeting with uh, when a person <laughs> talked for one hour and uh, three lines of summary because <laughs> that person said essentially not much. So, we'll be able to kind of gauge. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's, yeah. a, it's a compression algorithm on meetings. I yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and it will kind of you know, reveal you know, who has the time to content <laughs> ratio <laughs> that is more productive. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> well, very cool, Luca. Uh, it's been great talking to you today, and I'm looking forward to episode four, our next episode of the AI Buzz with Josh and Luca. Hooray! Yeah, it's been great. Thank you, Josh. See you next time. <laughs>